Okay, so we're going to look at First uh, and Second Thessalonians now. Um, so uh, Thessalonica also in Greece, but at the just again our little map. So there's Turkey at the top here, um, where where it really touches Europe, comes down, and then. Corinth was there, that isthmus. Thessalonica is up here. Um, Sorry, uh, like what would modern day Thessalonians be more like? Is that like Greece? Turkey, Greece, or? It's still Greece, yeah. Still it's Greece. Still, still the city. Both these cities are still the same Corinth and Thessaloniki. Mm. Oh. Uh, so they still, yeah. A lot of the places change names and there's something, or they disappear. But those two are still still exist, and you can go there. If, if, I've never been, but uh, can still go there. Okay, so uh, uh, Paul also planted the church in Thessalonica in, in Acts chapter seventeen. You can read about that. Um, okay, so. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you. So you see the thanksgiving. Uh, it's a very positive, positive letters to, to them, but they do have some issues. But overall, very positive, a very encouraging church, uh, the, the Thessalonian church. Um, so he says in verse 2, uh, well, you notice there that th there's the three of them are together. Okay, yes. Sorry, quick one, just to backtrack. No. Um, is there a reason why you're like, uh, we're doing the books in this order? Oh, okay. Yeah. So why are we doing the books in this order? Yeah. So it's, so October I'm going to be away in the States. Okay. So we've got... Uh, I don't really want to go into December. People start going away. So we've got sort of four weeks in November and then two weeks, this one and next week here. Okay. So it's six weeks. So I want to finish the Bible and I want to give the last session to the whole of Revelation. So I'm putting books that go together. There are some books in the Bible that are uh, some of the later ones that we call the, the Catholic or the general epistles and the pastoral epistles. So I thought... I just put okay. these these ones together. Um, okay, so he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So you see faith, hope, and love there, or faith, love, and hope, which Paul also mentions in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, where he says the greatest of these is love. So... Uh, the, these are known as the Christian virtues, faith, hope, and and love. Um, just an aside, there were four other virtues from Greek, the Greco-Roman world, and then they put them together with these three, and so we get the seven virtues. I forget what they're called. It's wisdom, justice, what's prudentia, astutia, something, something. Okay, so um, anyway. Um, so he praises them for the way they received Paul's ministry. 
Um, he says there in chapter 2, there's another thanksgiving for them. Verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this. So there's two thanksgivings for them. So a wonderful blessing. But he says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So this is very important. Paul is saying that when the scriptures are faithfully proclaimed, it's the word of God. Okay. So very important for us. So you, when, when, we're, when we hear preaching and it's faithful preaching, even if you maybe don't like the guy's style or you think the illustration is bad or the suit clashes or whatever, <laughs> you, you, you and I must say, but it's God's word to me. That's what the Thessalonians did. They received they receive the preaching as God's word, which is really puts a big responsibility on us that we can't say, yeah, I'll think about it because it's God's word to us. So when it comes to us, we have to obey it. It's not an optional thing. Maybe I'll see how this week goes or something like that. We are to obey God's word. The Thessalonians took that as God's word and they responded. And so Paul praises the Lord for them. He is thankful for them. But they also face persecution. Verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So Judea is back in, back in Israel, in Judah. Remember that the, the believing Jews suffered persecution from, from the unbelieving Jews especially from the Pharisees. And he says, you're, you, you're like them. You're, you're being persecuted by your countrymen. They're being persecuted by their countrymen. And he says, and then he says this about the, those Jews. He says in verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. So quite something. Um, uh, Paul is praising God for the judgment that has come upon the Jews who were opposing the spread of the gospel. Okay, um, okay so he wanted to see them, and he sent Timothy in chapter 3. Verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother, to find out, you know, how they're doing. Um, and uh, he talks about suffering again. So there's a lot of talk about you're going to suffer. Okay, so it's applicable for us. Don't be surprised when there is suffering. And um, uh, it goes on to the coming of the Lord. So Thessalonians... The two books, I think that's what most people know them for, is the talk about the return of Christ. Mm -hmm. So, if you go to um, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. What does he mean by asleep? 
they're dead. Yeah. So it's a it's a quite common euphemism that that uh, the scriptures use for believers who have died. So I remember Stephen is stoned to death, and we're told he fell asleep. So, so he says, "I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep." that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. Of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, so uh, one of the key things when we read a, epistles is that, uh, as we saw with, with uh, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and uh, we saw that they wrote letters back to him. Now, Timothy has come back with a report, so he's filled filled Paul in on what's going on. But we really only have one side of the conversation. Okay, So uh, we have to do um, read between the lines. Okay, It's like when you hear someone talking on the phone, you can often pick up who they're talking to because you, you know, if you, if you can hear what they're saying, you, you, you hear how, that topic, oh, I know they must be talking to this person or that person. Uh, and then from the answers that are given, then you can surmise, oh, that's the subject. And that's what we have to do here. So why does Paul have to talk about the second coming of the Lord? Because it was something that was concerning them. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died. Okay. So what we think happened was that uh, Paul came, people were saved, and they expected the return of the Lord. It seems that there was an expectation that the Lord's going to return soon. And then, you know, guys are dying. And they then are worried, like, okay, but what happens to my uncle who died? Because, he, you know, if the Lord returns tomorrow, he's dead. What's going to happen to him? He's going to miss out on it. Okay. Do they not have, uh, don't they have the concept of, like, when you die, you Testament. Like just them as a culture. Well, remember, this is Thessalonica. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there would have been Jews in that. Um, and and also, don't forget that just because they had the scriptures doesn't mean they, they were well taught or they knew them. Remember, the Pharisees and people were very confused about things. So... So Paul is saying, look, I want you not to be un uninformed. Don't worry. When the Lord does return, um, the dead, so, so the Lord returns, I'm just going to draw a bright light here. Okay, when he returns, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, so whoever's alive at the time when Christ returns, are caught up with them, and they're caught up into glory in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the return of the Lord is meant to be an encouragement, that we encourage one another. The Lord is coming again. 
uh, and it's going to make all things new. Yes. Sorry, just one minute. I've always been confused. Um, it's not quite clear. So the dead just remain in their graves until the Lord comes again, uh, or I mean, surely the dead are with. But isn't that just Christ? Christ? No. Yeah, so it is their body, because elsewhere Paul says to be absent from the body mm-hmm. is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. So when, um, in the Bible, death simply is separation. Okay. okay. So death is the separation of the soul or spirit from the body. Mm-hmm. For, for eternal death is eternal separation from God's gracious attributes. Mm-hmm. So uh, when a believer dies, their spirit is immediately in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. But we were created to be embodied. Mm-hmm. So in Revelation, you see that, that people are asking you know, to the Lord, how long? Those who are already in heaven are saying to the Lord, how long? How much longer must we wait until we get our glorified bodies? So they're, oh. they're naked spirits. Um, so at the resurrection, at the return of Christ, that's when the... The body, the body will be taken up mm-hmm. and transformed and glorified and reunited with the soul. And those who are still alive will be immediately caught up and transformed. Um, Is the scripture being like figurative? Though, like, or like, yeah. literally like their bodies are going to be... Oh, no, no, I believe literally. Okay. So, so, so our salvation is... Yeah holistic okay so we don't believe in a uh you know it's just your spirit's going to be saved praise the lord it's a complete redemption your whole body your whole who you are will be redeemed and so um we believe that's your your body and even if it's decayed into dust god will figure that out and (laughs) to to, to that extent sorry about to uh the point, but um, uh, obviously it's a, 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 a tricky topic. But uh, infants, or you know, babies, um, you know, that obviously don't get to see life, or you know, die in the womb, or are taken as big kids that are taken young, and uh, some believe them to you know be with the Lord yes. uh, upon that time. So then, how does you know baby or like you know? Um, maybe a fetus a glorified body yeah so it's like how does that translate practically to you know the match yes. yeah uh we're not given i i don't think we, we we're given that information whatever it, it 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 will be um i don't think we don't get the the impression you know that there's this so even someone who's deformed born deformed will be have a glorified body mm-hmm. um so Whatever it is will be good and right. Okay, whatever body, but I, I don't. I, I, there's no hint in scripture that there's going to be you know little baby bodies and mm-hmm. I think and even they won't be male and female. So um, you know that's another. Okay, what's it going to be like then? Mm-hmm. But it'll be glorious. We won't be. It'll be something. There's no loss. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Everything will be better. Um, yeah. But I do tell Natalie there won't be much difference between this body and my glorified one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> Michael, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, 
The Lord must that come quickly. For you, Natalie, this is married to heaven. You say that. <laughs> oh, wow. Sure. That's weird. So, it's, it, it, they, they're stressing about their glorified body. Well, no, no, sorry. They're stressing that someone's going to miss the resurrection. So, Paul has to correct them and help them. Okay. So, it, you can understand it, though, that... You know, if you if if the gospel comes and you think the Lord's coming soon, and we get to go, and then someone dies, it's a natural thing. Well, what what will happen to them? Um, so then Paul corrects them. Now, what some believers in history in the church say is that they call this the rapture. Okay. So, um, and it is the rapture. It is a taking mm-hmm. of people. But they say this is. Uh, something that will happen seven years before the end of the world. And they say that the church will be taken away. They call it a secret rapture. The Lord will come and take Christians away from the world. And then there's going to be, you know, all hell breaks loose and judgment. And then, but the church will escape it. And then the Lord will return here and then set up a thousand year reign. Okay. Um, this is quite a modern in, uh, view in the last 150 years, this seven-year period. Some people say it's a, a mid-tribulation rapture, so it's in the, after three and a half years, secret rapture. But when you read this, there's no mention of anything like that. It uh, seems to be the end of the world, and it's certainly not secret. It's a cry of command, voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. It's, you know, it's nothing quiet. Or, it's like... And God's people are caught up. Now, it fits with other passages where, um, and we know from, from history that uh, sort of a, a Roman general who had won a great victory, when he returned home, or he returned to Rome, the inhabitants of the city would come out and meet him on the street and then come back in with him. Okay. And so that sort of fits with the Lord you know, drawing his people up as he retur- on his way to the earth, and then he's going to, um, he's coming in victory and power and majesty. Okay. Now, chapter five. Then he says, "Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." So remember, we as we spoke when we looked at Amos and some of those prophets, the day of the Lord. This is the final capital D day of the Lord. He says, look, you don't need to be panicky. I told you about it. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Okay. So again, when someone says, you know, it's happening next year. Well, that's not really like a thief in the night, you know. Um, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come uh, come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So this is what will happen. One of the things for believers, um, it will it will be less of a surprise, okay? Because we're children of the day. You will start to see the signs that God talks about, okay? But He says, you, you know, we need to be awake. Um, 
Okay, then he says, we must encourage one another. Then he says in, in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Okay, so he's talking about the pastors in the church. Um, you are to esteem them very highly. Okay, okay Julian. <laughs> And then he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So here, uh, uh, this is a really pastoral verse. Um, So those who are idle to admonish them, correct them. Okay, those who are being lazy. Uh, the word is, has the idea of undisciplined or disorderly. Okay. Admonish them, correct them, rebuke them. Encourage the faint-hearted. So there are Christians who are faint-hearted. Okay. Um, help the weak. There are Christians who are weak. But be patient with them all. Okay. So that's, that's not just for pastors, though. I think all, all Christians must remember that. They are going to be... Christians that you might get frustrated with, you know, like, come on, get your act together. That's, that's, not a, that's not the biblical way. We're not talking about someone who's just continuing in sin and needs to be rebuked and corrected. But there are, there are Christians who are faint-hearted, that need to be encouraged and strengthened. There are Christians who are, who are weak. Okay, so remember that. You're going to meet different people. Be patient with everyone. But it does seem, there's a little hint here, that, that idleness or laziness is a bit of a problem. And that brings us to Second Thessalonians, Paul's next letter to them. Again, verse 3, he starts, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters. So again, thanksgiving. Um, he starts off with the judgment of God, that God is going to return in, in judgment. And he says, he, he rejoices, God is going to come and destroy those who persecute his people. So... He says, um, he talks about their persecutions in verse 4, verse 5. He says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Okay. Um, verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And so then he prays for them. Okay, So... Remember, as we saw in the prophets, the day of the Lord is good news or bad news, depending on your side of the law. Okay, just as when the police come, you know, if you're the thief, it's bad news. If you're the victim, it's good news. Okay, Mm -hmm. so when the Lord returns, it's glorious if you are right with God to be marveled at. We will be marveling at him. We will have glorified bodies. We will have infinite delight and joy. And we will see justice done. Those who have sought to destroy God's people will be judged. And we we should all delight in justice. But if you're not right with God, 
if you're if you're one of those who persecutes God's people and hates God's people, then flaming fire, eternal separation from God. So make sure you're not one of those people. Make sure you're right with the Lord. And so, um, but there needs to be a recovery, I would say, of it, to think like Paul. Okay. Um, it, it's an interesting, a lot of Christians seem to battle with the idea of judgment. I do find it strange. I think it's maybe a lack of suffering or injustice. I don't, I mean, we, we should delight in justice. When, when rapists and are caught and pedophiles are caught and thrown in jail, we praise God. Like, it's a good mm-hmm. thing. When there's rampant crime and it's, it's, it's horrific. Justice is a good thing when it's just. When it's corrupt, it's, it's wicked. We see through the prophets that this is, not a, this is not a self-righteous, oh, I'm better than you, I'm glad you're suffering. That's, that's wicked and ungodly. And in fact, if you're self-righteous, you will be one of those. This is to say God is just. A universe without justice is a horrific thing. So Paul is able to say, he's coming again, it's going to be glorious and God will judge those who seek to destroy you and persecute you. Okay. Yes, Ricardo. Um, isn't that hesitancy or lack of, um, you know, that rejoicing element? I think maybe particularly in our circles, from a, a, a perspective of uh, there go I, uh, but for the grace of God, you know what I mean. So it keeps you maybe reluctant or hesitant to rejoice at like say, you know, the rape is going to jail or like rejoicing as you should, like you said, injustice, whatever, or, you know, the guy killing is like, you could have been me, you know, but for the grace of God. And like, we just see ourselves as, you know, like, also sinful. Mud, and, yeah, sinful. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And remember, it's Paul who says that, mm. you know, but by the grace of God. So we keep that. So this is not, remember, it's not a self-righteous. It's not saying I'm better than that person. Yeah. Okay. It's just. Okay. So, um, otherwise everything's inconsistent. Otherwise, you know, people who fought against Hitler are wrong. You know, they yeah. could be like, well, how can I fight against him? I could also end up being a monster. Who knows? Yeah. We say, no, praise God for people who went and fought and destroyed evil and, um, and, and, so, I mean, the movies we enjoy, what do we enjoy? We enjoy the Westerns where the baddies get shot and they get yeah. caught. We enjoy the movies where the Avengers, you know, mm. one, I don't know if they kill anyone, but anyway, they beat the baddies. <laughs> so, because it's in there, it's, God has made us in his image. Um, so, so, yes, I, it, it's right never to be self-righteous. can never be that. And... Um, remember that God even saves enemies, so, but then they're a new person. Then they're no longer that person who persecutes God's people and destroys God's people, and that's the most glorious thing. Paul was one of those people, wasn't he? He was a murderer of Christians, and the Lord saved him. And now he's the same one who can say, those who persecute God's people will be judged. So we, have, we, 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 we need to get that tension so the whole Christian life is one of tension. Of the doctrine of the Trinity is a tension, one God, three persons. The incarnation is a tension, fully God, fully human. God's sovereignty and human responsibility is a tension. Um, 
the, the love for enemies and rejoicing at their judgment is a tension. So it's... it's we, but we still can't, like, perfect... We're not righteous. I don't know, it's hard maybe to have, like, a fully righteous thought on justice, you know, without my, like, sense of, you know, uh, self getting this picture of, like, yeah, I'm applauding that the bad, you know, the, the baddie got caught because, you know, good for you, you know. I'm not right. I'm not Christ, you know. Like, I'm not fully... We're rejoicing that justice is done. Yeah. So when they recover your car and they catch the baddie, yeah. we rejoice. Like yeah. I, I, and okay. now, um, you know, it's not a, it's not a, like in your face or you know, it's like it's there's a principle of justice has been served here that, um, and we rejoice that there is justice in the world. See, an atheist has to have you know cognitive dissonance because. There's no ultimate justice in that worldview. It's in Christianity, we say, even if something, people seem to get away with it now, corrupt people that oppress and take advantage, etc. There is a time coming for justice to be done. And God will be absolutely righteous in his judgment. And and we can say, that's that's glorious. Because there will be a reckoning. People are responsible for their sin. And there will be a reckoning. You want to escape that? Well, it's in the gospel. Come to Christ and then, you know, begin to change the way that you live. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's yeah. So Paul is, is saying, he's, he's using it as a comfort to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are, are being persecuted and afflicted. And he's saying the Lord will come back and he will he will judge those who, who are afflicting you. Okay. And he writes it as a comfort. So if if I battle with that, I need to then you know reshape and reform to become more in line with this. Okay. Because it because it is written as a comfort. It's like people who don't like the doctrine of election. Yeah. Peter says it's a comfort to you. If I'm not getting comfort from the doctrine of election, I need to, there's something not right. Okay? Yeah. Because Paul Peter is saying, he has a comfort, you're chosen by God, you belong to God. Okay? Um, so if I'm not getting that, then there's something wrong with me, not with the scriptures. Mm. So if I'm not getting the comfort that God is going to destroy those who uh, cut the heads off of believers in North Africa, then there's something wrong with me. I, I really do praise God that they will be dealt with that can do that to God's people, to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, so I, I, yeah, that's, I was just reading it again today and I was like, it just stood out. Um, okay, but our time is marching on. The big thing is chapter two, the man of lawlessness. Okay, so... Uh, there's lots of debate about this. Um, and some of it will come clearer when we do um, revelation. But the 
uh, verse two, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So then now there's this concern. Maybe we've missed it. Okay, because people are dying. And so maybe the Lord's already returned and we've missed it. So he says, no, I want to tell you, verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Okay, so I would argue there's some people who say, no, this he's talking about what happened in Rome. I don't think that's correct. He's talking about the final day of the Lord. Um, the return of the Lord will not happen until certain things happen. And one of them is the revealing of this man of lawlessness, what some people call the Antichrist. Okay. The Antichrist must first be revealed and then the end will come. Uh, and this person will exalt himself. Uh, he'll take a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So some people say that's the literal temple in Jerusalem. And it has to be rebuilt. And the Antichrist will go into the temple and say that he is God. I, I, don't, I don't think that's really what's going on here. Because what's the temple of God from 1 Corinthians? We saw that. The church. Eh? So we are and the church. So I actually think it's somebody who will claim to be Christian or claim to be Christ even in the church that people will follow. Okay. In the temple of God, as in the church, the body of Christ. Okay, not in in Jerusalem. Um, he will proclaim himself to be God, and he says, "Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his coming." And bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So this Antichrist is going to come and he's going to come with lying signs and wonders. So he's going to be able to do miracles. Okay. So can you see the danger when the church is obsessed with signs and wonders? Remember, Jesus even said that a wicked and adulterous generation seek after signs and wonders. So if the church is focusing on signs and wonders, they get excited when someone's one foot is shorter and it becomes a little bit longer, you know, and you know, that's just a, a con. It's easy to do that. Um, they're so invested in signs and wonders. When someone comes who can really do signs and wonders, remember Janus and Jambres, the Egyptian magicians in Exodus. When Moses comes and he, oh. he, he throws his staff down and becomes a snake. They're like, oh, whatever. And they just, they throw theirs down and they do the same thing. So Satan can do miracles. Okay. So when he comes and he can do real miracles, not these fake things, the church is going to believe that he's from God and be deceived. And Jesus said, or the Lord says, they will be deceived because they loved not the truth. 
and therefore God will send them strong delusion that they might be damned because they love not the truth. So it's always, do you love the truth rather than signs and wonders okay, and chasing those things? Yes. Okay. So how would this apply to like maybe, I think we spoke about it a couple of sessions ago, but how would this apply to, let's say maybe a church who has been led astray by the leaders or by the pastors in the church? How would that apply to them? Um, because, I mean, I, I guess on a fundamental level, they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they do believe Him, and they do have a faith. But in terms of, I would say, the intricacies of the Bible, they maybe may not understand the truth. So how would that sort of... Yeah, look, look, if a person loves the Lord, they'll be fine. Okay. Because if a person loves the Lord, they're children of the day. Okay. And in that, mo- you know, in, the, in that time when Antichrist and all of this... In Revelation, you won't be you. You will see more. All Christians will know okay. that because we're children of the light. When that okay. when that is starts to happen, okay. Um, Paul says that you're children of the light. If you're claiming to be a child of the light, but you're not actually, then that's mm-hmm. a different that's a different thing. You will be deceived because okay. you didn't really love the truth. Um, okay. So that's just a warning. Don't, you know, um, those are not signs of anything. Okay. In terms of, if you're chasing that and you say that church down the road, you know, they did um, this miracle, so that must be where God is working. That's not the sign of where God is working. Where God is working, there's a, a love for Him and, and a love for holiness. Okay. Um, okay. Now we come to. Uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And we saw that in his first letter, admonish the idle. Now they pop up again, these idle people, and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Okay. Um, he says... In verse 10, part B, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So it's become a problem in this church where people are are lazy. They're not working. Um, And how do they live then? Well, people have to give them handouts to, to live. And Paul says, if they don't work, they mustn't eat. Okay? So it's just, that's an important practical you know, thing just for wisdom for the church. Um, it's not a charity, the church, if people are not willing to work. We understand you know, widows, orphans, the, the sick. You know, this, we're talking about lazy people. Okay? Now... Many theologians, and I, I, I tend to this, not all agree with this, but I think there's merit to it because I've seen it. This church is very concerned about the return of the Lord. And if you think the Lord is returning soon, like if you think the Lord's returning next month, you might be tempted to quit your job, huh? Mm. Quit your job. Mm. You know, Maybe think I'm going to do lots of evangelism or something like that. And then, you know, he doesn't return next month. And then you, you become a busy body. You just, you know, mm. visit people for coffee. And, um, 
and then you you just so and and it's a real thing I've seen in churches um, that are obsessed with the return of the Lord. People won't go and study further. They won't. Um, they say, "Well, what's the point of those things? The Lord's returning soon, and it's caused a lot of destruction." Okay, so um, I think that there's a link between the idleness and this obsession with the return of the Lord. Um, I'm not saying that we should all be obsessed in the right way with the return of the Lord, longing for Him to return, um, but. It, a wrong view on these things can also be very destructive. That causes mm. people to, especially if someone's passionate about the Lord or theology, and I see it a lot with with uh, young men sometimes, that they're passionate for the Lord in a certain way, and but then they're not really willing to just work okay? mm. and just first prove themselves and be faithful in small things. Um, so you end up then relying on others to survive. Okay? And if, of course, if we all live like that, then you know, we'd have to go to the world then. To, we'd have to just start begging. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's not the, the Christian way. Um, we, we prove... So I, um, I mean, I, I, I can talk about this because this is also what I grew up in. And I was affected by it in that way where I would do more work memorizing the Bible than actual work in my studies. Okay. And I thought I was being more spiritual. Actually, it was a bad testimony. How can you say, no, no, I'm actually a good Christian, but I'm failing my subjects. Okay. Well, I'm, no, I'm memorizing the Bible. So I had to, you know, I had bad theology, and it was linked to the return of Christ because our church thought, I mean, we had people saying, you know, I don't think, I don't think our, the, our, uh, you know, the Lord... I don't think I'll die. The Lord will return before I die. So it was always there in the air that you, you breathe. So what's the... Re- when you start to think about it, like, what's the point? And that's not the right way to live. They said to Charles Wesley, the famous Methodist preacher, uh, if you knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, exactly what I normally do. So you, should, you and I should live like that. Like, no, it's fine. You carry on with your work because... You work as unto the Lord. You, you, because you could die tomorrow anyway. So we talk about, you know, there's a final return of the Lord, but there's also sort of an individual, if, we, if, we, if we're not alive when the Lord returns, we're still going to die. So at some point we're going to stand before the Lord. So we should always be ready to go. Um, if the Lord takes, takes us tomorrow, we're ready to go. Uh, it's not, oh, well, I need to wait till I'm older, then, I'm, then I'll start setting things in place. I need to always be ready. Okay, so um, uh, Thessalonians is about the return of the Lord and sort of laziness, but overall a good church. Um, yeah, Let's, I see our time is up a bit. Let, let me close this in prayer there. Well, Father, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for these beautiful letters, and so relevant. Uh, 2,000 years later, we face the same problems, uh, the same confusion in, in our churches, the same lusts, the same laziness, the same confusion, because uh, human beings are still fundamentally the same. We still, uh, by nature, are sinful. But thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you so much for forgiveness, Lord, that uh, that's not what 
defines us. We are saints now. We belong to you. And we thank you for the hope that we have, that you are coming again, that you will make everything new and perfect. No more injustice, no more fear, no more sickness, no more death, no more corruption and uh, oppression, no more temptation. Lord, we do long for that, and we long to see you, to know you perfectly. And so please keep us, keep those who are traveling safe, and keep us from sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.